The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Two Millennials One Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Gable, and I'm joined for the first time in a few weeks by pretty much the backup host at all times, <laughs> Sean Mines. Hey, good to be here. Good to be here. And today we are giving the people what they want. We're having religion part two. Yes. Before we get started, though, I'd like to tell everyone to please subscribe, check us out, share us with your friends. As I said before, we are going to talk about religion. The last time we did this, all the way back in episode 6, 42 episodes ago, I heard lots of complaints, Abby heard lots of complaints, as they did not feel that the faith or religion was defended fairly, so we have a titan here to defend the faith. <laughs> A titan? Yes. Well, I, okay, I will not live up to that A at titan all. of the no. faith. Oh, wow. Wow. It's such a good timing for this. Uh, if you're one of our Christian listeners, there's a happy Christmas Eve to you. This couldn't have been better placed. Yeah, that was a well done. Perhaps divine appointment on that one. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> We're going to dive right in because we have a lot of a lot of things to talk about. What I did is I kind of went back through that old episode and I picked out some things uh, that had complaints or people didn't feel that we discussed fairly. And I'm going to present these to Sean and we're going to dive into these tough questions. First off, as we talked about in that episode six, millennials as a whole are less religious than the previous generation, less Christian, the proportion of people that class themselves as none as far as atheist, agnostic, just non-believer in general, that's growing significantly. And just the general question is, why is that happening in your estimation? Yeah, I want to start by saying, when you handed me this list, I was intimidated. I was freaked out. But we'll see how we do on this. Uh, when it comes to Titan, I don't know. I'm not formally trained in any way. So I just want to get that out there as well. I'm not a uh, licensed minister of anything. I am what you would call a layman. So we'll do our best here. And like is always the case when, when I'm on here, and I know it's always the case with you, happy to discuss this uh, outside the podcast. So firstly, I would agree that the, uh, the, the millennials are less religious but i think that one problem that i saw with that initial podcast was the portrayal of the portion of millennials that were not non-christian like they're still out there too i am one of those uh, as the oldest millennial i'm very active in church myself i attend three times a week i lead worship sunday mornings sunday nights wednesday nights i'm on the church board i am the interim youth pastor at the church as well so like i am very involved in the church and there is a significant portion of millennials that are involved in the church still as well. And to varying degrees, from the highly religious, very pious, uh, there was a study that, that in this group, the very devout are very devout. 96% believe that the Bible is the Word of God. 96% believe that the Bible contains everything that a person needs to know to live a good life. So there is a group out there that was underrepresented in the initial podcast that the millennials are fleeing in, in mass numbers. I thought it was an overstatement, but they're there. The numbers are there. So I, I looked at those and saw like there 
are more millennials leaving the church than in previous generations. But the number has been decreasing over time as well. So it's not something in particular that is new to the millennials that they came up with some new idea or some new discovery, but rather this is a trend that has been happening in one article from Pew Research, it's, it starts with the greatest generation, and the number of people who say religion is important has been declining. The number of uh, people that attend religious services weekly has been declining as well. So we do see those trends, but trends over time. I got to thinking about with this, was like, well, why is that happening? If we go beyond just millennials and we look at like the trend of the decline, I think that there's a problem with the church. I really do. I think there's a problem uh, with the way that the church represents itself. I think perhaps it was a problem of arrogance, maybe, assuming that people had to go to church, had to believe, and, and that just isn't the case and is becoming less and less the case. I totally accept that answer for a, a non-believer, an agnostic that agrees with you on that. I think the church has done that mostly to themselves. I mean, there's a follow-up question there of like, is the church going to do anything different to get those people back and stop the general decline of belief? Yeah, I think that's fair. And to do that, we really have to look at the millennials in particular. That is the largest segment of the population that's leaving. Not that there's not old people that have left or older, excuse me, older people that have left the church from previous generations and for previous reasons. So I, I think looking at the millennials and trying to stop the exodus would be a good plan. And in some of the studies, there were there were three groups. So even in this idea that, you know, millennials are leaving the church, one talked about the religiously homeless, and I kind of like that, that there are prodigals who leave the church, they've left the faith altogether, they're done. I don't want to speak for you, but that is my understanding of where you are. You were a part of the church. I said, fooey with it. This is all a bunch of baloney. Correct. Okay. So there is that group. Then there is what they call the nomads, which are personally interested in God, but not the formal institutions. And I thought, wow, from everything that we hear about millennials, that fits really well. That they're interested in God as a being, as an entity, but they don't need some institution. Like in previous podcasts, talk about the government. You know, we don't need institutions for something that we can do ourselves. Read the Bible, pray, study, those things. We don't need an institution to do that. And then the exiles. This was a particularly interesting group to me. They remain in the institutions, but struggle to connect the faith to the daily life. So even when in this framework of people who are struggling with their faith, the exiles are still in the church, but it doesn't answer all their questions. So that to me is an interesting group. And probably, I mean, I don't identify with any of these, but that would be the one that's closest to me. I remain in the institution, but I am highly interested in how the Bible and my faith and belief in God can be applied to my daily life. I don't want something that is just for me to believe and doesn't have an effect on me. So in my studies and in my lessons and stuff at the church, I'm very interested in how does this apply practically. When it says love your neighbor, I want to know how to do that specifically and not just, oh yeah, just love your neighbor, you know, because that gets tossed around so much and utilized that it is hollow. And I think that's where we see kind of people are leaving the church altogether. Looking at millennials too, from other things I hear on this podcast and what we know about millennials, they are a busy group of people. Jobs that are non-traditional hours. So like going to church and being available and having open time in your schedule to go to church isn't always going to be a priority for them. Maybe they would have gone to church, but then it's like, oh, I got this job. So they scheduled me to work on, you know, Wednesdays or Sundays. And that's the only time that churches are open. So I think one way to address that need would be like diversify, but that's the institutionalism of the church in that case. The country club atmosphere of the church is another problem. So in terms of how the church can fix this, like 
if the church is just another social institution that is get together with your friends and hang out for a while and then leave, then that becomes an arbitrary or superfluous like social gathering that can be nixed out of a schedule pretty easily. So the church needs to have a little bit more meaning than that. And then engaging millennials where they are, they're on social media. Churches don't get on social media a lot. This is something I talk with my pastor about. It's like, hey, we're missing an opportunity here. If they're not on a radar, we got that, you know, what, what echo chamber effect where like the church becomes irrelevant through its own neglect of being relevant, not offering answers, not being in people's thoughts and like daily attitudes and things like that. So then it becomes an oddity. And the longer it's there, the harder it is to connect with, the more it becomes awkward to even think about going, the less you think about going, then the more it might even become scary. And the church isn't real good about making it a not scary place. So I think there are things the church could do to be more relevant, to be more available, to be more effective. But that cycle just seems to continue. In my view, it's the church's fault that the millennials are less spiritual. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Before your disenchantment, can I call it that? Is that fair? Absolutely, yeah. Before your disenchantment, what would you have liked the church to be like? What would you have liked the church to do before that? What would have kept you from leaving the faith? I don't know if it was so much the institution that made me leave. The institution, a lot of faults in that. Undoubtedly, you nailed them, hit all the nails on the head there, what they could do better. I think it's just my overall need for a God with more evidence is what ultimately made me leave. I don't know exactly the date or time or if it was just a a moment where I was like, no, I don't believe this. I think it was an overtime situation. But yeah, I can't attribute anything necessarily to the institution institution of church that disenchanted me. Okay, that's fair enough. The institution itself aside, did you feel like your questions were being answered? Like my questions in life? Or well, my... you said you said you'd like to have more evidence that God existed. Would I mean, would you consider that a question? Like, does God exist as a question that you felt like the church didn't answer? I mean, clearly the church is going to say yes to that question. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose the church was not answering those questions to my level of yeah, I'm going to stick around in this. Absolutely. I mean, they weren't able to answer those questions with, and I'm not saying necessarily scientific evidence, but something a little more than like, hey, here's this really old book. All the answers are in there. You got to believe it. That's not good enough. There's no part of my life that I base on that level of evidence, you know? So religion was kind of the same way. I was like, why am I clinging to this where my science believes I need something more up to date and relevant than reading like a text written by Newton, you know, like there's some good stuff in there. Absolutely. There's some good stuff in the Bible, but things change and I need a little more proof than that. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. Well, that's something we're going to talk about today. I think that's the next question that I'm going to give you. I mean, there's zero secular recorded reproducible evidence of supernatural things, God, ghosts, any of that. There's none of that. Not to like conflate this with ghosts, but specifically like miracles and magical healings and walking on water and all kinds of stuff. There's no proof, nothing. And I know there are some religious people will be like, well, how do you know the moon's real? And like that, that's not an answer. You know, you you don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, goodness. I hear this all the time. And that goes with this whole our society of like fake news and everything. And what can you believe? It's like you've never been to the moon. How do you know that's real? So you should believe the Bible then because you just don't know. Like you don't know anything. And I don't like that. And obviously that's not good enough for me. But I mean, that's a great question is like, why do you believe in God? There's no reproducible, non-biblical proof of it. Yep. And I am not going to sit here and offer you any today. I didn't bring that with me. Dang it. 
here's my question to you then. Why would any worldview produce evidence to refute itself? Why would any worldview produce evidence to refute itself? Right. So you want secular, reproducible scientific evidence that God exists. And so my question is, why would... And I, and, I, and I need to add this in there, because as an atheist, you're looking at it not just through the lens of science, but also through the lens of atheism, that there is no God. So why would science then produce evidence that would refute itself? That was my hang up when I was thinking about this. All right. First off, I'm not coming from the atheist point of view. I'll go agnostic. I'm not saying that we completely rule out God. But you're asking, why would let's go Christianity and that religion. Why would that produce evidence that would rule out itself? Yeah. So you want scientific evidence to say that there is a God. Correct. Which would rule itself in. Not to an atheist. Not to someone who believes there is no God. There would be no evidence then of God that they would ever acknowledge. Because as soon as a person, and this was where I was struggling and I need your help, as soon as a person would say, I have found some evidence of God, they would no longer be considered secular. And so they could be dismissed as, well, that's just religious evidence for God. I understand your hang up. I think a little bit of that is a semantic issue, but I mean, a large portion of what the Christian specific religion is based on are things like miracles and this idea that this divine being was born on earth from a virgin mother and the whole story. There's nothing to back any of that up. Nothing. I, I see what you're saying of like, well, why would there be proof if automatically that proof becomes religious fervor and whatnot? I, I understand that, but I'm going to call myself a free agent for someone that doesn't discount it entirely. You know, I can be convinced, but there's nothing there to convince me. And that's my thing. And like, I don't see how this big group of humans have faith in this when the more I explore it, the less I believe it. Mm -hmm. I get further and further away. And it's not that I'm not exploring. Like I sit down every so often, I research this stuff. I think it's incredibly interesting. It just, it doesn't strengthen my belief in it. There's not anything there in my estimation. Is there that stuff there for you? Have you dug into the, the history of your religion to the point where you're like, yeah, that's believable. Yeah, I feel like we'll get to that later. I have more semantics for you. Go for it. Can I refute your refutation with the claim that there is no evidence, there is no God? Sure. The evidence, I mean, even from the questions that you've presented me, are along the lines of there's no evidence of your evidence, religious people. So that is evidence that your views are wrong. The no historical evidence, which we'll get into, uh, religious people are evil, which we'll get into, like we get into all of these things, that doesn't provide positive evidence of no God. I just want to get out here and say, and I should have said this from the start, is I'm not on this podcast to say there is no God. I'm on this podcast to say I don't know. I do not know if there's a God or not. I do not subscribe to Christianity, which is more of what I'm attacking here, as bad as that is to say. I, I see what you're doing here. This is a valid discussion as well. It's like, I can't prove there's not God. I have just as much evidence proving there's not God as you proving there is God. So I don't know if that's a worthwhile argument. So I should have started this better in saying that I'm going from the agnostic standpoint is I don't know. Okay. So that's fair enough. But I think that in terms of our discussion for people listening, like we need to start at some place and we can work to Christianity specifically towards the end. But if the evidence doesn't prove that there is no God, then living like there is no God is an act of faith itself. And so you've said you don't know that there's a God. Fair enough. I feel like that's a 
fine place to be. Because to make a truth claim that there is no God is indefensible. So I guess a a follow-up question on that. Like, if we are going to harsh on atheists for not having proof that there is not a God and how that is not a great worldview because there's no way to back that up or prove that, then, I mean, if you swing to the other extreme, to a devout person that has no proof that there is a God but believes it, is their faith somehow better than the atheist's faith in not having a God? Well, I don't think that, I don't want to make that claim because at this point, like, if we're having this discussion, just the putting into the realm of possibility that there is a God is an important first step for people who don't believe in him to at least acknowledge the possibility of an existence of a deity. You said there's no evidence. I've brought some evidence. I don't know if you will allow this in the court of the podcast or not, but eyewitness testimony is acceptable in a court of law. So I brought with me, with permission from the authors, some testimonies from individuals that I know within the last few years for what God has done to them. So Nicole Helm, she goes to church with me and wrote this for a baptism, said, God rescued me from myself for the past five years. I have beat myself up over the decisions I have made in life. I lived with a daily battle of shame, guilt, and regret, followed by an addiction to drugs. Because of my actions, I had hit rock bottom. I was on the brink of losing everything. I felt intense feelings of despair and mental agony. God started to draw me closer to himself at this point. He sent people into my life that loved him. A pen pal of mine challenged me to start reading my Bible. At first, I rejected. My prior experience reading the Bible left me aggravated because I couldn't understand any of it. But this time, it was so different. I read and read, feeling like I couldn't get enough. And I thought I was a sinner before. Oh boy. The beautiful thing about God that I learned is that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Also that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I was in a small group one day and given the opportunity to nail all my burdens to the cross. I remember being fearful because I had held on to all these things for so long that it had defined me as a person. I was then assured that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I just had to get up and do it. After nailing my burdens to the cross, I felt five years of weight being lifted from my shoulders. It was a miracle. I felt brand new. I was so grateful that because God, I don't have to be who I was anymore. This baptism is a sign of my acceptance of Jesus Christ into my life, who died on the cross for all of my sins, who was then raised after three days to show me the true meaning of love and forgiveness. Praise the Lord. May I never forget the things he does for me. That was lengthy. But again, in terms of eyewitness testimony, an eyewitness account would hold up in court. That doesn't suit you. It's a great story, and it does provide me comfort that people have things to put their faith into. Like, if this young lady feels like God and the Christian religion and whatever lifted them out of a hard time, I have no problem with that. I just don't buy it. Call me cynical, but give humans more faith than that. Can't she help herself out, and can't other humans support her in that without the need of a religious deity? Do you not have faith in our species that we can't do that without a deity guiding that to happen? How much evidence do you have of that view? Of putting faith in humans? Yeah. Not a whole lot. Humans are terrible, but in my mind, that's the same thing with religion. Like, yeah, religion can do that, but then they can also go massacre a bunch of people. So can the human approach to that. Yeah. I actually have another one, because you said the word reproducible. So not only can you photocopy that because it was written down. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have another one. I don't have to read this whole thing because I understand the time constraints and stuff. But this is from a student who is at our high school. And again, use with permission, Raven Ratliff. So before I found God, I struggled with a lot of self-love, self-acceptance, self-confidence. And then uh, discovers the love of God because of a friend. I'm paraphrasing here. This is God's love for us all. And I never want to lose this love. I want to share this love with everyone because it's so truly amazing. I often find myself talking to God to get things off my chest just to let him know how my day is going and it's so amazing i want to spread his love to everyone because everyone deserves this i don't want to discount any of those things like i think those are fantastic stories i'm going to get on here and people are going to be like oh he's a religion hater i don't necessarily hate the idea of religion i think that's healthy and good for a lot of people but in my cynical mind both of those situations could be chalked up to themselves or other people getting them help. I think humans can take care of that. Like, I don't have a lack of love or health in my life because I'm not religious. You know, I have those things too. I have struggles. I overcome them. I can do these things and I don't chalk it up to a religious being or a deity. You know, I can give you testimonials from atheists that say those same stories, you know, but they may be chalking it up to Jim, the neighbor down the street that got me off of my opioid addiction and gave me a home, you know, not that like my stories discount your stories. I just can't accept that as proof necessarily, but I'll broadcast it. I mean, for a lot of people, that's all they need. Like that's what church is a lot of times. It's, here's my testimonial. Here's my sermon. Here's my story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. And we can move on to the next thing here. The uh, awful things part. Yeah, religion is a front a lot of times for awful things, and we talked about this in the first podcast. A lot of wars, some people try to sit down sometimes and figure out how many people have died in religious wars, and it's hard to do. It's nearly impossible because so many people have died over the years. Catholic sex scandals, if you want to be relevant, general abuse, blowing up abortion clinics, which is ironic as I'll get out, mistreatment of the gays, transsexual population. I mean, there are more than that, obviously, but the bad the crusade, sure, there are some terrible things done in the name of religion and there are some terrible things done in the name of atheism and Russia and Hitler and all kinds of things killing religious groups and I, I'm not saying that the other side is any better but why would you associate with a entity that has that much blood on its hands? The entity that you're associating with is humanity. It's operated through humanity no doubt but it's in the name of a religion it's in the name of God. Any worldview and you mentioned this already like any worldview can be corrupted but it's not corrupted by the world it's corrupted by the evil that's in the heart of every person so when you're telling me like oh people should have you have more trust in people you should have you know people should be able to to fix themselves type of thing like that rings so hollow when I see evidence like this of even people who believe in a loving God and in a savior who said to love your neighbor are still capable of doing something like this is evidence to me that we are not capable of of doing the things that you're saying we're capable of. Like, it is not a humanly achievable thing to be good, to be moral, to do and be... I mean, good is the word. There is not evidence enough to support that because atheists, like you said, agnostics, Muslims, Christians, it might be done in the name of of religion, but like it's done in the name of politics. It's done in the name of economics. It's done in the name of other cultural aspects. Uh, It's done in the name of anything that can be used 
to profit the individual, to remove a problem. Evil is done at all levels of society for all number of reasons, not just religious. So that's where, yes, religion is at fault for some things, but it's not the religion that did that. It's not God that did those things. That's where we are having probably our biggest disagreement yet. You're putting faith in these people to somehow do this without any type of higher being, higher calling. Like we can be as vague as we want to here, but that's just not even possible for me, at least, to imagine happening. Because even when you have higher purposes, they're still corrupted. They're still used for evil. Do we call this one a tie? Yeah, I don't think there's winners or losers <laughs> here, but I, I suppose that's your justification for participating. And I, I agree with that. Humans ruin absolutely everything. I will probably give humans more faith than you will when it boils down to it. But yeah, I can see that. But I don't think the cut and dry higher power thing is completely scot-free. And we'll get into like the Old Testament here in a moment, but I will agree to a tie on that. Yeah. So why do I associate with Christians? I, I guess I didn't answer that question in particular. It's in, in my view, like when I look at what God's commandments and what Jesus has commanded us to do, I mean, at the basic level to love your neighbor, that's something, I mean, I'm terrible at that and working at it to the best. So why do I associate it with it? Because in my view, that is the best way to achieve the things that we want to do. That we want people to be good, then yeah, there's some bad examples of Christianity that we even see today like happening, but I am against those because they are manifestations of evil and not of God love or even the Christian message in general, which is supposed to be selfless, self-sacrifice, love your neighbor, not just like love, but again, the practical elements of this, like to actually love your neighbor to lay down your life for a friend. That's where I think Christianity should be. I think if it was there, we wouldn't see these declining numbers because people be living what they're saying and not living a lie. Completely fair. Humans ruin things. Dang, humans? All right, continuing on here, and this is going to get more to the Christian specific, and this is what I'm most comfortable with as a former Christian, and I assume you're most comfortable with as a current Christian. So those of you listening that aren't Christian, my apologies. My problem. Your religion and my former religion is based on the Holy Bible. And like I said, I like evidence and the historical evidence of Jesus specifically and a lot of what's inside of the Bible is very, very thin. And I research this a lot. I, like I said, I'm going in this and I want to be convinced that what I devoted years to is accurate. But as far as Jesus is concerned, besides the Bible, there are extremely, extremely limited amounts of information or proof. Josephus is one that's touted a lot and Tacitus and those show me that Jesus was a real person. I will not dispute that as some atheists do. I do, in fact, believe that he walked the earth, but nothing about Jesus's divinity or his godlike nature is accounted for. It was more of instances of there is this Jewish person that uh, has a following. Those were the secular records of Jesus. So that doesn't give me a whole lot of faith. And then just the issues with the Bible. And I brought this up last time and I got called out. I said that the Gospels were written hundreds of years after Christ, which is not accurate. It was decades after Christ. There were no eyewitnesses that wrote any of the Gospels, and they contradict themselves. They contradict actual recorded history. There are a lot of problems with that, and I know where this is going. A lot of people are like, well, that's the problem with humans. It's their fault, but... 
All of that said, if this is the divine word of God and of the Christian religion, that's a whole lot of issues. So you can dive in anywhere you want there. When you say divine word of God, I actually had a note on this for a couple of later questions too. You say literal word of God. What do you mean by that? Well, it depends. As the non-religious one, I'll let you interpret that however you want, but there are some people that believe this is the literal word of God, as in God entered the writer and they wrote down that word. That is a very wide-held belief amongst certain Christians, or that the Bible is a perfect entity. I mean, there's all kinds of scripture within the Bible referring to itself about being the true word of God, and you can't pull anything out of it or add anything. You'll be sent to hell if you do that. There's all kinds of stuff that within the Christian religion makes it seem and appear, to me at least, and a lot of other people, that the Bible is the be-all, end-all, and it is accurate. Yeah, okay, so that does help me understand. Because if you're saying, like, oh, you know, because you ask a number, number five, if it's the literal word of God, I didn't know if you're saying, like, how to answer that question in terms of, like, did God hand this down on golden tablets? Like, no, I don't believe that. But as the inspired word of God, yes. And then in terms of it being inspired by God, but written by people. And so, again, we just covered the fallible nature of humanity, which you just a second ago discounted, which will make this difficult, but we will press on. You do see historical evidence of Jesus. Correct. Okay. So we both agree there's historical evidence. So then what we're interpreting here, or what we're actually disagreeing on, is the interpretation of the existence of the historical record. Because you interpret the existence of a historical reference as being thin. To me, it is remarkable. So I just want to like put that out there. Is that accurate so far? Yes. So now we have to debate whether or not it is thin or remarkable. From a historical viewpoint, this is where I'd come from in terms of the existence of Jesus, which you've said like you believe Jesus exists. There was accounts by non-religious people of the existence of an individual peasant 2,000 years ago. That in and of itself is remarkable. Peasants don't get a lot of uh, attention in history. We actually have jokes about them in AP World History, like talking about peasants. Who talks about peasants? Uh, But here we have an account of people talking about peasants. So to me, the proper interpretation of the, please note the quotes around proper, is that the historical record, the historical evidence is remarkable. Why would there be any record of an individual peasant by contemporaries at all? of an individual peasant, unless there was something special about him. Did they record the miracles? Not necessarily. Does the not recorded history, does something not being written down in the historical record, does that mean that it didn't happen? Not at all. But that being said, if Jesus really was this miracle worker, I feel like that would have been written down. I acknowledge your feelings. (laughs) They are important to me, but there's lots of things I should write down about my own children. You know, I I, I get what you're saying. Like, why didn't everybody, like, why didn't everybody jump on board? Like, he was standing there. Well, even his followers didn't write up about him until decades later. It wasn't like they were scribbling it down as he was talking. It's possible they were taking notes. I don't know. I wasn't there. But to say that something has to happen, although if, if it was for real, then they would have. That's just a conjecture on your part. And I don't mean that to say, like, I have some knowledge of this that you don't. But, like, I just want to point that out. Like, they didn't write that down. So to have faith, we use faith a lot here. To believe that something not written down in the historic record is 
evidence for something becomes uh, tricky. Even the point about like, well, the, what about the census when Jesus was born? Just because they didn't write down or we don't have record of a particular census isn't necessarily evidence that that particular census didn't happen. We know that censuses happen, but we don't have every law and every bit of evidence from the historical record, that to me isn't enough to say, oh man, I don't know what to do. Where's that census at? If only I had the census, then I could believe. So to clarify, the census that called Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem so that they could be counted was a Roman issue, according to, can I call him the Jewish historian, Luke? Sure. We'll call him the historian. Uh, But he was writing, in his accounts, he's writing a history. He's writing a history in the second book of Luke, which we call Acts. He says this is for such and such a person. It's like he's writing an account for a person in that that sense. The historic record, in in, in that sense to me, like, to say, like, oh, you know, there is historical evidence that Jesus did exist, but that's not good enough to prove that he was religious. And then to say like, oh, there's no historical record of a census. So that isn't good enough. That creates for me an issue as well. History doesn't have everything recorded. Like, what can't we just go back to the documentary and watch it? Like, God, what is the truth here? Like, No, I understand, and I, I don't discount what you're saying. I know things aren't recorded as they should be at all times. I'm just saying, if it were truly as defying as Jesus supposedly was, I feel like that should have been recorded by at least one unrelated source or non-related source. I cannot fathom, of all of the crap that we've recorded over human history, that that didn't get written down somewhere he was mentioned i'll give you that but again i think he was mentioned because he had a following he had a significant following not to jump too far ahead here but there was latter day revelations in the name of joseph smith and he's all over history he left an impact i mean obviously that's two thousand years later but i believe more in joseph smith and his stuff than i do jesus and his miracles because they're just isn't enough. It's one source and it's the Bible and there are contradictions in the Bible. And if you read about how the ordering of the gospels were written, like each one gets embellished a little more. And as the years pass, the more and more of these, what I would call myths are weaved into them. And it's a really interesting account of how they think these books were written. But right there tells me that that was not some divinely inspired or God inspired writing. If it's inspired by a supposedly perfect entity, why are there mistakes? And the census issue that you were, that we were referring to that just misdates the Bible. He's referring to a census that dealt with Herod and they like have the record of this and it doesn't line up time wise with the Bible, uh, which is the issue in Luke. It just right there discounts it for me. If it's truly written by a perfect being, none of this should be an issue. It should be perfectly cross-checked with the recorded history that we do have. Mm -hmm. I just can't get around that. Yeah, no, I get it. But I mean, it was written by humans, inspired by God. So it's clearly, I mean, we're not going to get past where we are here. Uh, So I hope that we've just both explained our, our viewpoints about the historical relevance well enough. I'll say this to to conclude this part. The fact that it's not recorded in secular history to you is enough evidence to say that it is not true. And I can't make that leap of faith. Like I have historic evidence that I believe in because the Bible is an account. It has 
historical accounts in it. So it's not enough proof to say that the historical evidence is thin does not really prove or disprove either theory. To me then, I can look at it and I can have faith. And I know you knock faith like a little bit, but that is what it boils down to. What faith would there be if, you know, we had video evidence of Jesus? That was part of the reason why he didn't just stay. People would just be lined up Dalai Lama style and he's sitting on a mountain. You know, there are reasons for that within the faith that would explain like, well, yeah, you know, angels came, angels came to the shepherds and said, hey, Jesus is down there in a manger, you know, like, why don't angels still disappear to people? That would be way easier. Everyone would believe, but it wouldn't be the same in that sense. Just remind me of an interesting point. I was very curious, kind of what you were saying is like, oh, they didn't take the time to write it down as it was happening. And my question was like, well, why did they wait decades after to write this down? Why were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why were those decades after Jesus' death? And I thought it was interesting. Some historians, I don't know where they're getting this at, but they believe that the early church believed that the second coming of Christ was imminent and soon. So they're just like, oh, we don't have to write this down. And yeah, then, no. Whoops, didn't yeah. happen. No, they get that from the Bible. Jesus said, I'm leaving and I'm coming back soon. And they, I guess, didn't interpret soon as being more than 2,000 years. So, which is understandable. But yeah, no, that that's a credible point that doesn't help you. No, I agree. <laughs> it doesn't help me. <laughs> Not that we're like, you know. It only helps me in the sense that I think it's all bull as far as like, hey, he's coming back. And whoops. But fair enough. Jury's out on that, right? Yeah, the jury's still out. Yep. Just, what does soon mean? <laughs> all right. Talking about the Bible, let's get into everyone's favorite part of the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. I won't limit this to the Old Testament. There's some fruity stuff in the New Testament, not to be insulting. Dark stuff in the Bible that is largely ignored by Christians, and this is what I was getting on Abby about uh, in the first podcast, is who decides what's important and what's not, because there's a lot of stuff in the Bible about saying, like, hey, if you're a slave, you better be good to your master, definitely condone slavery, puts women in their place as far as, like, their inferior, trashes on homosexuality very, very hard, and just the whole book of Leviticus is interesting to say the least. And currently, we don't abide by a lot of that stuff. And I know there are some people that have interpretations of the Old Testament of like, oh, that's irrelevant now that Jesus came. Where do you stand on all that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. And and these next four questions, what you have is five, six, and seven. And eight. I didn't focus on these in the week and a half that I prepared. So please don't take my shallow or insignificant answers as evidence that there is no God. But I mean, cherry picking happens. It happens in your view. You pick the things that you want to say like, oh, we're going to look at just these portions. I think that there's a lot. The Bible is a large book. There is a lot in it. Yes, the slavery issue to look at that one. There is a condoning of slavery, but the Bible has been used to to set slaves free. There are examples of God setting slaves free in the Bible. So there is, and again, it's a complicated and large book. And this is why there's a lot that we could get into. And I want to look at the idea that like Christians ignore some of this stuff. Yeah, it's convenient to ignore it, but it doesn't mean that it's never been addressed before. That theologians haven't looked at it and discussed it. So to say that it's just like swept aside, I don't think it's fair necessarily is not always the most relevant part of the discussion. The homosexuality one, that is a huge and relevant portion and discussion of our society. But the fact that Christians cherry pick, as you said, doesn't discount its relevance. There have been interpretations, explanations for some of those tougher things that, like I said, I mean, I spent a week and a half preparing for this and didn't get into all of it. So 
let's have more episodes on it or just discuss it. You know, I'm happy to discuss all this, but but I need to have more information on the particulars of how the theologians have discussed this. But in terms of the relevance and the pertinence of different issues and stuff, like it comes and goes, but it's, it's there's so much there that people can't know it all. Professional theologians study this over lifetimes and can't fathom its depth or complexity. So, yep, I don't have good answers for you on these next few questions here. I know you explained why you won't be able to go deeper into this right now, but the Old Testament advocates for some fundamentally, I think everyone would agree at this point, bad things. And if this is a truly inspired word of God, that doesn't make sense to me. That's going to be my number one thing I'm shooting at when I discount the Bible. Well, it's not an irrelevant book. It's not irrelevant to the times that it was written in. Acknowledging New Testament versus Old Testament. Like when Jesus came, like he established a New Testament with not 10 laws, not a thousand mosaic laws, but with two laws that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We love God with all our hearts and our minds and souls. Like, so the, the laws of the old Testament then have been superseded by the new Testament, the new covenant, the new law that Jesus brought. So I can't stand in defense of the atrocities in the old Testament. We can name them the complete destruction of AI and all men, women, children, and goats, even the goats do I have explanation for those things? Not necessarily, but within the period of time that we're talking about, historically, that's the reality of the history at the time. Empires were taking over empires, and you have a group of a few million shepherds that develop a kingdom that can conquer other empires. And and so I don't know. Uh, again, you're going to use my ignorance as as a uh, as proof that God doesn't exist. I don't think that's a fair way to do this, but to just throw it all away that doesn't make sense to me there are will always be things we don't understand we only see a piece of the puzzle we don't even have the box lid so to speak i understand that argument i just i can't wrap my mind around putting faith in that book i i just can't do it real quick here and i i just have to ask jesus his whole thing was he was fulfilling the jewish prophecy in the old testament and the jews don't believe it which Again, right there is a massive problem. If he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, the ones the Jews were waiting for, why are they not on board? I literally wrote down, ask a Jew. Okay. I mean, I have my reasons, but my understanding is they were looking for a political leader to set them free from Roman oppression. And here we got this spiritual leader trying to set them free from Satan's oppression. So you've got a mix of messianic viewpoints there. There are Jews who believe in Jesus. So like your argument's not a hundred percent solid. It's not, but the vast majority of the Jewish faith does not. And that happens in all like transitional periods of religion. You get your conservative people who we don't change and your liberal people who are going Going to accept the new realities of the world, and they're you know they're going to move with that. But um, that's not evident. Like there's lots of people that don't believe in Jesus. I'll be like, oh, there's lots of people that don't believe in Jesus. I shouldn't either. That's not where I'm coming from on this. All right, I'll get a Jewish person. <laughs> Next question: Billions of non-Christians have not and will never hear of Jesus. Where are they going? What's happening to them? Yeah, and you like took out. You're like, ooh, not my place to judge, and I don't know God's mind. I will not accept that argument. Not accepted. It is pretty clear. The, what happens to people who reject God. So those would be people who specifically have heard of God 
the message of Jesus, it is particularly clear what happens to those people. They've made a decision. They reject God. Their fates are determined. When it comes to people that have never heard, we do serve a just God who does right things. So the argument from the people that have never heard to God at the pearly gates, as no one ever told me, would be, at least in my mind, a valid argument. And he would know the truth. Yeah, no one did ever tell you. Shame on those people. Do I have an answer? I don't think it is possible for me to have an answer to that question, which you will use as evidence of of weakness. But how do you expect me to know that? What I really wanted you to do is get on here and say they're all going to hell. But I'll accept your answer. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Wow! That was the one I was most worried about, to tell you the truth. That's hard. That's hard, not just for you. That's hard for me. No, that's one of the hardest questions to ask someone that's religious. I don't dispute that. That's why I asked you that. Good. Yes, you accepted my argument. Next one, and I know you don't want to answer this or talk about this, and you're going to say, go ask a Mormon, but... I grew up in a Christian faith that was very anti-Mormon. I grew up near the Mormons, actually, and they view it as a cult because in the 1800s, Joseph Smith had a dream, found some golden plates in the ground in Palmyra, New York, and said, whoa, there's a whole nother chapter of Christianity. Jesus went to America. He talked to the natives. They were saved. I will lend Mormonism as much credence as I will Christianity because honestly, it's two guys being like, yep, I know God. And they developed a lot of followers. And there's no evidence for Joseph Smith, uh, his revelations. There's no proof that those are valid. And there's no proof that Paul or John, their revelations were valid either. It's all the same. So my question is, why do Christians harsh on Mormons so violently? Why don't they believe that? And Latter-day Saints, that's a faster growing religion than Christianity is at this point. They lose less overall. Will me answering this question help you believe more in God or Christianity? Yes. <laughs> You're not even telling the truth anymore. No, legitimately. Well, you were an honest skeptic. I came in here with assumptions. Legitimately. I want to know that. Why do Christians who supposedly are worshiping the same God as Mormons, in a way, why are they so quick to call that a cult? Yeah, I'm going to one-up you. Why aren't Christians all Muslims? It's the same thing. Like, Muhammad came in and he had revelations from God, too. Historically, we're talking about the same God. Are, Are you the Christian that is totally fine with Mormons and totally fine with Muslims and they're all going to heaven and you're all in the same game? It's the same reason, like, oh, Jewish people don't believe in Christianity either. Well, Jewish people that don't believe in Christianity are in the same position that Christians are in with these other new religions. Okay, so there are elements of these other Mormonism or or Islam that don't jive with the Christian's understanding of God or Jesus. So when they don't jive, it's an issue of belief. That It's an issue of exclu- exclusivity. That's not a word. Exclusivity. Exclusivity. And all worldviews are going to be exclusive. You believe what you believe, but there's not a way to justify it. And so the Mormon holds their beliefs that are different than the traditional Christian, the mainline Christian belief. And those beliefs don't they don't jive with each other so that joseph smith found some gold plates in the woods like that's great but it doesn't jive with what i believe is the reality so you know and mohammed had revelations as well but they don't jive with the christian beliefs that i have and so i mean like i said these weren't ones that i had prepared in depthly on that's the thing the worldviews are going to be exclusive and to say well oh because some people don't believe the same way you do then what you believe is false that, that's not a fair place to come from in terms of those beliefs. Like, it just, we don't believe the same thing. So you don't view Mormonism as a cult? 
What does a cult mean? I've heard that before. Like a cult. Does that just mean creepy people doing weird things? Like I don't. I love Mormons. I'm some of the nicest people I've ever met have been Mormons. Like I can't. I'm not gonna do that. What do you mean by cult? Oh, I mean that essentially. Yeah, a bunch of creepy people doing creepy things. Like no. Pretty sure you could just walk into a Mormon church and go church. No. Uh, you can't go in their temples. Oh, that's true. You can't take communion with Catholics. There's a lot of things that well, that's normal people can't do. Exclusivity, yeah. My, not in my church. I'll just say, come on in. It's between you and God. Plug. Every Sunday morning. <laughs> All right, a couple more things. Question number nine on the giant list is about Christian fundamentalism. And this is a belief that emerged in the late 1800s. And this is absolutely batty. And we've had conversations about this before, but I would like this to go on air. Number one, why does fundamentalism have a grip on American Protestants? And if you're like, I don't know what Christian fundamentalists believe, they believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. They have added up the ages and the lifespans in Genesis to conclude that the earth is less than 10,000 years old. They have a blind support of Israel, which is interesting. They, those are God's people the Bible says so. They do not believe in evolution. They believe Jonah was really swallowed by a whale. Great flood, they believe. Noah's Ark, they believe. The creation story, Adam and Eve, they refute science all over the place. They believe the words in the Bible are accurate. The end. And that makes for some crazy revelations. Where are you at on that? You think the earth is only 6,000 years old? Uh, these things, I will say. From your podcast, you regarded people of faith as having a certain intelligence level. It wasn't a quote, necessarily. You've just called those people batty. I did. I, I wrote it on this paper, too. <laughs> so, yes, to you, I am crazy and stupid. I am. I would have put myself in that Christian fundamentalist category, actually. Why does it have such a grip on humanity, on Christians in particular? Here's what I would say. I think, you know, like I said, I, I do believe I am a fundamentalist, but hopefully a rational fundamentalist who is intelligent and not crazy. I feel like I can and am not crazy, but all crazy people think they're not crazy. Uh, many Christians, non-Christians, I would say like yourself, have a dull, ignorant understanding of the Bible, faith, and science. So we all have to do a better job in this case. So why does it have a grip? I think it's easy to understand. I think it's easy to believe in those things and just say, yes, that is what it is. And it's why Christians can't defend their faith very well. Like, oh, I believe in the Bible, you know, and Jonah was really swallowed by a whale. Do I think that's a fundamental precept of Christianity or the belief system? No, I don't. And if I get to heaven and discover that Jonah was writing a book that is meant to be parable-ish, it won't be, you know, God's like, hey, by the way, Jonah, yeah, that was a story. He was, he was just trying to make an interesting story so people could understand my nature. I don't think if God told me that, it would wreck my faith in God. So that answers the... Well, that is my answer to why there's such a grip. I think it is just a general understanding, and that's as far as people want to go in their understanding of certain things. And that goes back to whether or not the Bible is literal. I don't think we can talk about the entire Bible like we have been as a particular, all-encompassing, it is one thing or it is the other thing. It is either all literal or all nonsense. It is either all figurative or non-figurative. It's more complex than that. Some of it is figurative. In Song of Solomon, the author refers to a woman's breasts as a cluster of grapes. That is figurative language. Otherwise, she has really lumpy boobs. All right, we, we have to be able to look at it with a little bit more nuanced understanding than just the whole thing is real or the whole thing is false. 
I think there is a depth to that. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about at the beginning was just Bible literacy, even among Christians, is super low. Some of them might not even, like, what, flood story? You know, oh, you know, like, and that is terrible. Not evidence that it's not real. Not evidence that God doesn't exist, but evidence that Christians are pretty lazy and weak in their understanding. Human imperfection is not evidence that there is not a perfect God. You are using it as that, which is fine. Like, you can if you want to, but it, it's not evidence. Like, people are terrible. That is not evidence that God doesn't exist or that God is not perfect in and of itself. Okay, so yeah, Just let's your... talk about the 10,000-year-old Earth. Okay, my favorite theory about this, and I'm going to go with theory, is the mature creation. You know, there's always a question, but like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? To the Christian, to the religious person, the chicken would come first. God didn't create babies, you know, in that sense. So my theory, my personal favorite on this is mature creation, that God created a mature earth, an old earth. So in that case, there would be evidence of old things on the earth because he created it within its full maturity. He didn't create, you know, baby humans to just lay out crying and starve and be eaten by baby wolves. That's strange pictures. So is the earth 5,000 years old? Is it 10,000 years old? Is it 5 million years old? I don't know that any of us can prove those things. I'm pretty sure we can prove it's older than 10,000 years old. I think you think you can prove it's older, but that's going to be using scientific evidence. And so scientific evidence is based on things that it sees. And so that's the whole thing. Like that's the faith of the naturalist is I believe in what I see. You have your evidence, but if God created a mature earth, you only have evidence that God created a mature earth, which you would discount because you don't believe in God. So then you're stuck in a position of, well, no, there are dinosaur fossils, which just proves that there are dinosaur fossils. You have your evidence for what you believe, but that's the evidence you have for what you believe. And I have evidence for what I believe, which is the evidence for what I believe. And so therein lies the problem. That is the problem, but that makes Christians appear like they are refuting and denying testable things. That's why I call it batty, is there are people that think Satan planted dinosaur bones in the ground. They think that, like the earth, like I said, is legitimately 6,000 years old. They think that God dropped off two humans and incestuously bred all of us. That, that so doesn't fit with a rational view of science in the world. With an agnostic, scientific view of the world. Or just any view of the world how can you you well, just explain like that was what i just did like i just explained it you're going to discount it because it's from a religious perspective and that the evidence of that is not rational what you mean is agnostic and so it's well can't accept your evidence so it's not scientific evidence it's just evidence that supports your particular worldview not to go too extreme but like carbon dating we carbon date something to show it's millions of years old. That doesn't fit with the Bible based on a fundamentalist interpretation of it. Well, it would fit with my explanation. I, I wouldn't call yours the typical one. And I, I don't want to extend this to all of Christianity, but that's not what people are saying. Like, this is my problem with Christianity. Like, yeah, you, you have a good workaround there. I'll Can give you that. Workaround, that's kind of you. Um, I would say it's not your problem with Christianity. It's your problem with Christians. Fundamentally, it seems like you have more problems with Christians than you do with God or, I mean, even Jesus for that matter. And like, fair point, I do too. People are terrible. And the idea that Satan planted bones in an, a creation that God created is ignorant. And it is hurtful to people that literally try to understand something about the Bible. So now I have to defend that because those people are ignorant. 
I'm not saying it's fair, but I mean, this is the reality of it. Like, if you're going to get me to come to church, which you have kindly requested or offered to me over the course of our friendship, which I do appreciate, though I've never have taken you up on it. Like, I'm going to need answers to this stuff. And I don't think that's unfair, you know? I don't Mm -mm. think it's not rational of me to ask these questions. Oh, no, not at all. And I want to be clear. Like, I appreciate the questions. This whole experience for me has been enlightening. I have not enjoyed any study that I've done more than the study I've done on this. And I am, I literally apologize for the ignorance I have on those four particular questions that are important to you, but that I don't have sufficient answers for. I think they're out there. I just don't have them. And, and that's the thing. Like I feel you. I get what you're saying. I appreciate the questions, but like I can't sit here and defend every Christian. I can try to answer your questions the best way that I can, best way that I understand them, and they're still going to fall short. I believe in an almighty God. I do not believe that I can ever totally fathom his existence, that I can fully understand that. So, I mean, like I said at the beginning, you call me Titan, and I, I will shrink from that vehemently. But uh, but yeah, I, in, in terms of my answer, like that was my favorite theory. Like, you know, the Bible doesn't explain, I mean, it does explicitly, and then one day, and then one day, and then one day. That, there's another theory that, like, those days are metaphorical days that, you know, later in the Bible it says a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. I've heard that too. But if you're going with literal interpretation of the Bible, that one doesn't add up. It says a day. But, like, in all of this question, none of us were there. Like, the eyewitness testimony doesn't exist. It, again, isn't going to wreck my faith if it's like, oh, by day, we really meant like two days. You know, like, I was, or mil- a day is a million years. I, that, I don't like that theory as well as the mature creation. Part of this is, like, and we can talk about the other part about the uh, the stories in the Bible. It is not past the realm of possibility for me, someone who believes in a spiritual, all-powerful creator, that stories like Jonah or Noah and the Ark or Adam and Eve, it's not beyond my realm of possibility that those things did happen. I, I believe in a God that is all-powerful. So believing in that would make these things possible. I get that, but I still have hangups because, I mean, say the earth was truly flooded. There would be some account of that in geology. There would be some evidence of something like that. So is God retroactively going back and like hiding all of that such that uh, there can be doubt? You know, like how is this squared? Can we talk about doubt for a second? Yes. The opposite of faith is not doubt. I doubt some of this stuff. But the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. When we get to the point where we only believe the things that we see, like that we have some kind of all-knowing nature about us, is where the whole thing falls apart to me. There are things I don't know, but the doubt builds my faith. Whereas, I mean, I understand like some doubt destroys people's faith. So you only believe in what you see and that science affirms. But some of these things seem batty to me. Our existence is just being by chance. Big bang. What what banged? And, And there you have the problem of infinite regression. Nothing upon nothing upon nothing upon nothing. That seems to use your word batty to me. Even that we descended from apes, the evolution thing, which was in your thing. That seems batty to me. I know that there is scientific evidence, there are scientific theories about evolution. I know we see evolution in, in miniature scale. We do see that. And I don't, Christians shouldn't refute that if they do. It's like, hey, you know, 
cows, <laughs> strawberries, corn. We don't even know where corn came from. And what happens when we die, that, that nothing happens when we die. Those things, to me, seem equally batty. So we have these things that are based on our viewpoints that we try to use to discredit the other's viewpoint. I don't think that they do. I feel like the plausibility of a creator is almost greater than the possibility that we are here solely by chance for no meaning or purpose. That boils down to a, a personal opinion because I'm the exact opposite way. Well, no, yeah, and that's and that's we look at this evidence that we have in front of us and we draw our conclusions about the evidence that we see. Can I tell you one more testimonial? Absolutely. It's my own testimonial. I was in it was my first year of college too. College wrecks people. I was taking classes, you know, like people in college do. <laughs> I was in psychology, I was in world history, I was in chemistry. And the psychology and the world, not world history, I'm sorry, world religions, even more specifically, they wrecked me because psychology is telling us this things about all oh, your brain, this just chemicals, this stuff, that stuff. I was like, dang. And then world religions, like, oh, world religion, this religion, this religion, this was like, oh, the mind would be capable of creating all these things. They're all telling me this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. So doubt started to creep in. Like it really did. Like it was a erect faith moment for me. I was like, I don't, why do I even believe this? I just believe this because my parents have taken me to church. I just believe this because this is what I have been exposed to. And so hearing about all these different world religions here, Hearing about the psychology. They were wrecking my faith. Nobody had any answers for me. Try to talk to youth pastors and God, I have more faith, you know, all this stuff. Not answering my questions. And I remember the specific moment of, I want to say revelation. I'm a spiritual person. I can say revelation. It was a revelation moment for me, but it came from chemistry, the science. That chemistry is such a detailed, analytic, concrete, specific science that breaks down what I'll call creation and studies creation in such a way that there has to be a creator. This was the conclusion I arrived at, which is why I think we're in different places here. When I look at science, not only chemistry, but biology, physics, the laws of those things, like DNA is the book of life as an example. Books don't write themselves. The specificity of DNA that it has to happen and that little changes to DNA create big problems like death and, you know, not going to exist. That, to me, when I look at science, that's the evidence I have of a creator. The laws of physics, who wrote those laws? They are unbreakable laws of physics that we can manipulate because they're unbreakable. Like a Planes can fly. Tons of metal flying through the air. Water was one of the like specific things. If the planet was just off a little bit from its course, water wouldn't exist. We're 70% water. The earth is 70% water. That's a fundamental aspect of our chemistry. And that if it was a little colder, it would be frozen or a little warmer, it would be gas and it wouldn't exist in the way that it does. All that points to me as this is by design. And so when I look at science, that's the evidence I see from science, not human experiment, not interpretation of the evidence. Like I look at science, that's how I interpret that. And that's what pulled me back that I could say, no, this is not my parents' religion, that I'm accepting this. This is my religion. This is my God. This is my belief. That was a rough moment, but when it comes to batty, like we hold opposite views, but that's why I hold my view. And I can accept that, but I mean, as far as me going the opposite direction, I look at those same chemical things and I come to the opposite conclusion. If you believe 
in the idea of an ever-expanding infinite universe over a very long amount of time, like, why couldn't this happen? I see the exact opposite in that. And I know that's where there's going to be a disconnect is because I have faith that there is an ever-expanding universe and what the scientists are telling me is correct, just as you have faith in what the Bible's telling you. And that's where the disconnect lies. But like I said, I see the exact opposite in that. And ultimately, <laughs> that's the division here. Yeah, and but, that's what it boils down to for people who are exploring these options. You know, I can't sit here and tell you, well, this is the evidence. I can tell you what my evidence was. I read the evidence from the other people. There are questions I don't have the answers to, but that's what it boils down to. And so for me, for the atheist, I, and I, which you've said you're not, but that would be my question. Is there room enough in your view to at least accept the fact that God exists? And if we can get to that point, then, you know, the next point, like it almost to me is like it takes more faith to believe what you're believing in chance, randomness, purposelessness, meaninglessness. It takes more faith to believe in that for who knows what reason than for me to say this happened by design. And it's pretty clear by the design that I see in some of these fundamental elements. So less faith for my religion than yours. I don't agree with that. I'm not saying you don't understand the mathematics of the infinite, but if you subscribe to that, it's not as out there as it may seem. I don't feel like I'm exerting more faith in my worldview. I think it's just a natural extension of what I observe. We would always feel more faith is required for the other person's viewpoint because we don't believe it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. My final question, and I ask this of all Christian people, but in your view, based on what you know of me, am I going to hell? So let me paraphrase what I know of you. You been to church, you understand who God is, you understand, or at least have been told the Christian view of who God is and who Jesus is, and the Christian view of what Jesus, believing in Jesus would do. You have heard that before. It is also my view that you believe when we die, nothing happens. So this is my answer to your question. And I've said this before, if a person has rejected God and the truth of God's word, then in that case, you would be going to hell. So then, in, in, according to my view again, like I would be going to heaven because I've accepted Jesus and believe in his word and his being. But in your view, we both go to hell. If you view hell as the absence of God. The absence of hope, the absence of meaning, the absence of purpose, that after we die, there is nothing, to nothingness, darkness. I would call that hell. Okay. Under your definition, yes, we're both going to hell. <laughs> so in my view, then, like, again, there's hope. There's nothing that would prevent you from being able to go to heaven except your viewpoint. One discussion from that is what do you feel that hell is? Do you feel that hell is just the absence of God? Is it a gnashing of teeth? Is it a fiery place? It's described as those things. And so God has to describe things to us because we are ignorant and stupid. Like, well, I think we've talked about that pretty well. So again, the literal gnashing of teeth, the literal uh, where worm eats the flesh and you don't die burning type of thing. It is what it says. Uh, is that a representation so that we can understand its terribleness? Well, it definitely is that. So if nothing happens to us when we die, I cannot imagine the darkness that that would be. I would assume that consciousness would cease so it wouldn't matter. But again, that all of life has no meaning or purpose beyond existence is a hopeless, dark view. I think it's a cool view. How insane is that? 
I will agree with insane. Yeah. But like in the world we live, we see so much darkness anyway. Just in terms of the despair and the agony, the depression that we see stemming from a just a darkness, a depravity that we see in humanity. It offers no comfort whatsoever. And I think at a base level, and I know that this is one of the reasons you dismiss religion is because at a base level, like, religion does address that. God addresses that. And that, to me, is at the most basic level, people do join religions to escape hell. And I'm fine with that as an entry point. But when people stay there, I have a problem with that. Like, expand your faith. Become a useful human being. <laughs> but the the darkness, the depression, I mean, we see that. We see that with our students, family members, friends. We see the, the darkness. And God has called us out of the darkness and into the light and that's that's what this is all about like we can debate about some of the nuances and the stories we can debate that stuff but it doesn't take away the hope it doesn't take away the light it doesn't take away at least for me the reality of god's presence in the things that we see i mean even though evil exists like what's the answer to that to me jesus is the answer to that God is the answer to those things. So let's say I live a life that isn't very evil. I'm not saying I'm a perfect person, but I think I live a pretty good life and I do good things in the secular sense, I guess. And a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of what I think the vast majority of humans would agree are good people burning in hell then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so again, I mean, like we talked about earlier, like as a person who has known and then rejected, I think you'll be held accountable for those things because what the Bible says, there isn't a a justification that is required except acceptance of Jesus. Like the lifestyle, there's plenty of Christians who are just horrible people. That seems ultimately unfair. Oh yeah. Like it's a, a just, I know just isn't fair necessarily, but I don't know if I want part of that. That seems terrible. If the one requirement is to accept Jesus Christ as your savior and you go shoot up a school and that person's going to heaven and I live a great life and I do charitable acts and oh, I'm yeah, doing all kinds okay. of good stuff for people yeah, yeah. and I'm burning in hell. Mm-hmm. I want no part of that structure. Well, okay. So again, we're delving into the spiritual realm. How many angels on a pinhead type of stuff. But I would question a person's commitment or the reality of their salvation. If they go and shoot up a school, I won't be put in a position to judge other people. <laughs> Cause I don't want that position. I'm like, oh, where's that chair? I'm not sitting in it, but that would be my thing. Like what type of person would do that? Can you live a moral life? Yeah, you know, morality is encoded in all of us. So you can do that. I think that's one of the reasons people say like, you know, if somebody's never heard of God, how could they possibly get to heaven? Or they never heard of Jesus to accept him. How could they get into heaven? The morality of God's law is written onto our spirits. So a person who can live out that life, having never heard of Jesus, would have, like, I didn't know about you particularly but i knew there was something you know so vagaries and such things here but yeah i would question the salvation the true salvation of a person who oh yeah i'm a christian and shooting up a school or you know committing other acts of violence or not loving their neighbor like the basic things these are very important things christians are so incredibly lazy and it creates for us a bad taste in people's mouths it's like you said, why would I want to have a part of that? For me, I want to try to help those people as well. Like, get with it. What you're doing and saying is hurtful. And you are not living the life that you are supposed to be living according to God's word or, you know, the lifestyle Jesus set forth for us. That's what I would say to them. Because then, like here, I've tried to justify their behavior. I'm not going to. They've got a problem. 
a real problem. All right. I think we're going to let that sit there. That was quite the conversation. This will by far be the longest episode of Two Millennials One podcast ever created, and it should be. This is a this is a big discussion. It's fun. I'm glad you think so. You didn't enjoy it? No, I I, oh. I do enjoy. It. Absolutely, no. I just would hate for you to get done with this and be like, oh gosh, why is he my awful. friend? <laughs> exactly. <gasps> Exactly. Well, I think I can say for both of us, if you'd like to know any more about religion, uh, Sean Mines would be a good source. If you want to know any more about being agnostic or sinful, I'm the guy to come talk to. Just kidding. And like I said before, if you are Christian, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas holiday. Mm -hmm. And now it's time for the song picks of the week. We'll start with our guest, Sean. I'm prepared. I've got I'll Find You by Lecrae, a little hip-hop jam to yeah. go on the playlist. Christian hip-hop, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. Seemed appropriate. Definitely. And going the exact opposite direction, I will go with a song called Time Forgot by Connor Obersts. It's about uh, moving to a town that time forgot so you can grow a beard and not have to be approachable. Sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed this XL episode of Two Millennials One Podcast. I uh, hope you have a lovely, lovely holiday. Check us out after the holiday for another exciting episode. Peace. Bye. <laughs>